Nelson in looking for Garza backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hi, y'all. Welcome to Five Stripe Final, the only highly distributed audio discussion discussing all things Atlanta United. Much like Franco Escobar, we're still a little dizzy from last night, but we are in a good mood at the very least. I'm JCM Jones from Jersey South Soccer. Joe Patrick from Jersey South Soccer is over there. Say hi, Joe. How's it going, Sam? Oh, it's going great. Going great. Five Stripes get another big win. This time they go up to Bridgeview and get a 2-1 win over at the Chicago Fire, part of a string of eight straight games without a loss. Uh, Five Stripes jump to the top of the table in both the Eastern Conference and in the Supporters' Shield race. A huge stretch of games coming up, though. But the first one out of the way this month, Five Stripes go up to Chicago, get a big win, Joe. How did we get a result in front of such a raucous crowd? That's uh, that's really what I want to know. The Bridgeview Ultras rearing their ugly heads did you, once did you, again. Did you see their quote-unquote TIFO before the game? It was just... <sighs> Several, See, just, several people I'm just holding not up. one to judge TIFOs. <laughs> I, it's frat boy arts and crafts is what it is. And, That's true. You know, I, I just don't want to be too judgmental on it as someone who, who failed many, many art classes in elementary school and beyond. But, hey, they're, they're trying. They're trying. <laughs> And that's all they, they did times. it with poster boards like they did it they did it using all supplies you can buy from like michael's to be fair michael's is one a great store two the happiest place on earth three exactly what i would have done and had <laughs> i been given the keys to the situation thank god i'm not in charge of any of our tifo or anything like that uh but hey let, let's 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 chill out on them can we, can we bash them for their tifo i don't know about that can we bash them for well, for maybe not showing up to support the team last night. Yeah, sure, why not? That was funny. That made me laugh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty funny. So I have a story. I went to Bridgeview. Well, I went to Chicago, and then I traveled to Bridgeview for the game for a Chicago Fire uh, versus Tottenham. Uh, it was a preseason game for Tottenham. And I was just amazed that the there was like... 30 fans in the in the supporters supporter section in 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 quotes i just i only say that because it was like there was like 30 people for an entire section so they were just like 30 a group of like 30 people kind of towards the bottom and they were just on their feet chanting fire 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 the entire game like non-stop it was stuck on my head to the fact to the point where i went home when i got back from that and looked up the words to that song that they sing I don't know okay. if anyone here is familiar with it, but it turned out the only words in the entire song are fu- is fire. That's the only thing that they say in it. And they just repeat it. And then they had some part where they just say like na 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 or something. I always thought they were, I thought they were like saying some words, but no. They were just uh you know, doing a little uh a cappella fire song. So, well, despite that intense atmosphere and just the 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 intimidating aspect of going against that Bridgeview crowd last night. Five stripes do come out on top of two on when it started off kind of rough, though. There were multiple chances for the fire, and it, it was an even first half, but it seemed like the memorable chances came for Chicago. The first one starts in the eighth minute. A messed up clearance uh, ends up ricocheting right to Nemanja Nikolic just on the edge of the 18. He takes a couple steps up, rolls one past Brad Guzan, but fortunately Franco Escobar there to clear it out. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I called it a uh, he he pulled on a, off a Cruyff turn on the line. Um, haven't really ever seen something like that before. To be perfectly <laughs> a, a goal line clearance like that before, it was interesting. Like the first half, yeah, it just seemed like 
neither team was really like playing any great stuff, but yeah. it did seem like Chicago was kind of getting the better end of the um the random like balls bouncing around in the box. It seemed like they had more kind of of those like random good chances. Yes. Uh, is kind of what I would uh, how I would describe it as opposed to us. Um I think we were trying to be a little more precise, a little more incisive and they were kind of taking the uh Minnesota United approach of just like kind of getting things in the box as quickly as possible and just hoping something crazy happens and it it almost worked like I thought we looked kind of skittish defending uh in the first half I don't know about you I thought we looked out of sorts for yeah. sure and shout out to our first Minnesota United reference of the H dad where they'll first many, many many more I'm sure um yeah but it seemed kind of like exactly like you said it seemed like things were pinballing around from time to time and the chick fire were able to get up on the receiving end of that and almost turn it into something. Uh, five stripes very easily could have been down one nothing. Uh, there was a moment when Elliot Collier got in on goal and just absolutely skied. It wasn't even close. Uh, it was really, really funny. Uh, there was also a moment where Schweinsteiger from probably like 23, 24 yards out took a shot on goal uh, and it just missed sailing in the top left corner. So there were definitely chances for Chicago to go up uh, and, and change uh, the, the scheme of the game. Uh, so to speak, yeah. but it never seemed to come to fruition. Uh, Atlanta also had a couple chances. To be fair, there was one yeah. point I remember Joseph had a header well, uh, directly at the keeper, uh, yeah. which is becoming a recurring theme for whatever reason. He'll <laughs> sort it out, um, and that's kind of all it was in the first half. Was both teams kind of trading kind of fluky chances? It seemed like, but my favorite, do... my favorite part of the first half was that amazing uh, bicycle kick attempt by Joseph. <laughs> that was awesome. It was ambitious to say the least. Didn't pan out though. Fortunately, in the 53rd minute for Atlanta United, something finally does pan out. Ezekiel Barco, the boat show. Zeke gets on the board for the first time in a five stripes uniform in a regular season game uh, for Atlanta United off a fantastic assist from Miguel Almiron. So we'll talk more about Almiron last night, but he was far and away the best player on the pitch from the word go. Makes a big diagonal run, plays in Zeke. Zeke gives the keeper the eyes a little bit, looked toward that right corner instead, went top left shelf. And one nothing five stripes. God, that was so pretty. Just kissing it off the uh, top, of the underside of the crossbar there. And you know, I, I like that. You know, you almost always see guys slide that ball back across the front of the keeper to the far post. So I love that he just went to the to the near post and right up in that top corner. It's a it's a it's a difficult, it's almost impossible st- uh, shot to stop. But it's a it's a trickier shot to take, in my opinion. You kind of you have a less room for error there. Yeah, and if you're looking at Richard Sanchez, the keeper for the fire coming out, that's exactly what he's expecting. He's expecting Zeke to go to slide it across goal, exactly like you said. Zeke gave him the eyes, faked him out, one mm-hmm. nothing, like we said. And yeah. Five steps weren't done after that. They respond very, very quickly. Six minutes later, Joseph Martinez, 59th minute, the prettiest goal of the night. Yeah, it was beautiful. This is like the classic uh, Darling Nagby. Darling Nagby doesn't do anything. Like, like <laughs> This is the one where like he could easily take that goal for himself, you know, and get on the score mm. sheet, get plotted. Well, it wouldn't have been an automatic goal, but he takes what could have been, what was a a good scoring chance for him and turns it into a 100% goal uh, by making that little pass uh, back to Joseph. And, you know, he's just an unselfish player who does that kind of thing, which is, yeah. uh, which is great. Yeah, Nagby gets the ball to Greg Garza right near the top of the box and then makes just this gorgeous diagonal run, stays on side. Garza plays him in. Easy layoff for Joseph. Joseph finishes at seventh goal of the year, sends him to the top of the MLS goal-scoring charts. Uh, Miguel right behind him with six 
on the year, even though he didn't get one last night. Uh, but at that point, 2 nothing. Not for long, though. The Fire respond a kind of another fluky chance for Chicago. A couple balls bounce around in the box. I think Garza ended up with the header that came back out to Kevin Ellis at the top of the box, who does a very nice job of volleying it in the top left corner. No chance for Brad Guzan. Yeah, it was uh, not the greatest like organization defensively there. Um, I think Garza was kind of, it almost looked like he headed it thinking that someone was going to be there for to pick that up because it seemed like he could have cleared it. He could have headed it even further away than he did, but he kind of just gave it a slighter touch. Um, unfortunately, yeah, it just fell right to Kevin Ellis, and you got to give him credit. It was a great goal. On the, It was like a half volley, um, had some bend on it. Great goal. Yeah, looking at the possession from that point forward, though, after it does go to 2-1, Atlanta very defensive, uh, very content to let Chicago have the ball. Chicago with the majority of possession from about the 65th minute on after that goal. Uh, looking at the five-minute interval chart, Atlanta did not win the possession in any of those after that mm-hmm. uh, goal. So Chicago very much uh, putting a lot of pressure on an Atlanta team, as you would expect a home team to do in MLS. But once again, Atlanta comes through in a big, big way, whether it was Gazan making a save or someone tracking back and making uh, a much-needed tackle or clearance. Uh, it's just one of those ugly away wins that you see the really good teams do in every single league in the world. And it's a little more rare in MLS to see this Atlanta team doing it uh, for the second or third time this year, honestly, uh, is really, really impressive. Yeah, what do you think? So going back to what you were talking about uh, in those the 60 60- the last like what 25 minutes of the match yeah the 65th minute and on where we didn't really have the majority of the possession in any part of those in those minutes what do you think about tito's substitution coming so late i thought it came extremely late i would have brought him on honestly i well i was saying he should have come on at halftime um but i still would have brought him on as soon as you know once ellis scored that goal we definitely seemed like we were in more bunker mode and just like protect this lead We'll try to break on the counter if we can, but our, you know, first and foremost, we're going to defend. And I thought that would have been a perfect opportunity for Tito. Um, use his speed, you know. Yeah. We had several chances with Miguel uh, leading the line up there pretty much after Joseph was, was subbed off. I just thought he would have been a perfect substitute. I would have even, you know, if you want to put on Tito for Joseph, uh, at least you get fresh legs up top and maybe you can, maybe you can pop like a long ball. Um, he scored on so many of those goals last year. Uh, when the team was not quite clicking great early in the season, we just had him up top, and we were able to just score some crappy, crappy goals just because he's fast as hell and could just you know mm-hmm. run onto a long ball. I thought that yeah. would have been a perfect opportunity for him. Yeah, no. Tito comes on for Ezekiel in the 81st minute, the second sub. Kevin Kratz comes on at the 72nd. Uh, you kind of saw the, sh- the fire make a few more tactical adjustments, I guess, with with two substitutions in the 59th minute after that second goal. Um, at that point. Uh, you, you're exactly right, I think. I think you would be well-served to bring in Tito if you're going to try to hit them on the counter, if they're going to bring on this attacking firepower and you're going to sit back a little bit. Uh, Tito would be extremely helpful in that regard. Uh, all things considered, I would have started Tito, but that's, uh, that <laughs> right, we can yeah, get into that more later uh, as we talk about you know switching to a 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting at the beginning, though. I didn't really get touched on it in the recap portion, kind of like I wanted to, but... It was Let's not the now. lineup we expected from <laughs> yeah. Chicago in any way, shape, or form. We're doing a preview podcast now, our preview HDAD, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
just kind of talking about uh, what we expect to happen in these games. Our first one was previewing the Chicago Fire game we just had, and we talked about what Chicago was going to do, what they had been doing, and it was all very matter-of-fact on our end, and of course they come out and do exactly not that. Hey, well, we, we were just going based on, on scientific fact of what happened in the past. You know, we, yeah. we can't predict the future. We try to do our best. But, uh, yeah, that was surprising. He came up. Well, let me just tie this into a, a larger thing that uh, Ponovich did with the fire that I thought was really effective, especially in the first half. Uh, I think we adjusted to this a little bit in the second half. But mm-hmm. what the fire's game plan was basically to come out and have these three attackers right up front, press them, pressing each one against each of our center backs. And what that did was it really didn't give us uh, an option to pass out of the back from. Um, all, the, all those guys who, like LGP, the, especially the side center backs, um, normally have plenty of time and space on the ball to like pick a pass or carry it forward or do something with it um, before someone can come close them down. So that's usually one of the benefits of that formation. But what, the, what Chicago did is said, we're not going to give you that opportunity. We're going to press you. We're going to make you try to hit long balls. Um, and we can recover possession in midfield, and I thought they did a great job of that. I know we had a lot of possession in the first half. We ended up with a lot of, like, 61% or something at halftime, mm. but I thought the the strategy overall was, was very effective until we adjusted. Yeah, to be fair, Elena was just as surprised as we were, mm-hmm. uh, all things considered. It was an excellent move by Ponovich, the, the manager of Chicago. Uh, Tata talking about the changes they kind of made uh, in the second half. It kind of seemed to center on what they were doing. Uh, with Lorenowitz, because like you were talking about, the midfield for Chicago was making things very difficult. The forwards were making things very difficult. Uh, Tata says, I think we were a little better in the second half because we changed the way Jeff moved and his positioning. So he was receiving balls behind the front three who were initiating the press. So he was getting the ball behind them as opposed to in the first half when he was dropping in and playing as the fourth defender on that line to receive the ball. Schweinsteiger, Katai, and Nikolic were doing a good job controlling them. And that's from Tata after the game. Um, so and there I, you kind of go. They switched up Lornowitz's positioning as kind of a, a counter to how much space Chicago is getting. I think you talked a lot after the game about how much room there was to run uh, due to the way Chicago set up. Yeah. And of course, this is all hindsight 2020, but that's why I thought a 4 2 3 1 would be good here, um, mm-hmm. especially if they switched to it at halftime. They didn't end up doing that and they adjusted in different ways, which is fine. Um, but if they played a 4 2 3 1, Kind of like what Tata is saying there, you would have like a line of players to pass to um, that are kind of behind those those front three that are pressing. So you would have a little way to leave pressure from yourself, force those front three to retreat back to to close down the ball, and then yeah, and you can work that way. But you know, you got to give Tata Martino credit for the way that uh, the adjustments that they did make, especially like with Jeff there, uh, and that's really good. And that's really cool insight from Tata to describe that. Um, you don't hear that from a lot of managers. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, you know, and he mentions, you know, Schweinsteiger was one of those front three that were pressing. And I think that he will kind of go back to that center back role that he has been playing a lot. But for this game in particular, they wanted Schweinsteiger being one of those players up front who was pressing. And that way, if the ball did turn over, if they were able to create something, they have one of their best passers there to help them try to convert the chance. Yeah, a big part of our preview was talking about where Schweinsteiger was going to be, and we just assumed that he would be in that sweeper role, as they had been calling it, in that back five they'd been running to. It was a 5-3-2 for almost the entire year, it seemed like, for Chicago, until we got to this game. Um, and Schweinsteiger was, was everywhere, especially in that first half. Uh, like we said, he had a couple of chances. He was creating chances. Uh, he was kind of going rover, it seemed like, at times. He was all over the field. Um, I compared it to that kid 
uh, in the pickup soccer game who obviously knows what he's doing compared to everyone else. And so everyone just lets him run wherever because they don't care what he's doing, you know, as long as he's yeah. getting the ball. Yeah. Um, and, and Schweinsteiger was definitely that last night. Um, Michael Parker's talked a little bit about what Chicago was doing well. It, he agreed that it wasn't exactly the, the prettiest win. It was an ugly win for Atlanta. Um, but he's talking about Chicago. He says, first off, yeah, I'm not going to dissect it for other teams. They'll have to do it for themselves. So shout out Parky for, <laughs> for keeping it 100 and keeping it real as always. Um, but they said they just made it difficult for us to play out. They took away some passing lanes. We weren't sharp enough. We didn't take advantage of one-on-ones. When they did go one-on-one, uh, we just didn't move the ball fast enough. The field was a bit bumpy. It was a little windy. Those didn't help, but we knew it would be like that. And we said there are no excuses tonight. Let's go out there and win. And we did that. So a little bit of a blame on the field, too. I didn't quite see anything with the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we don't know that um, yeah. from watching on TV. Um, but it's just kind of the crux of it is that they were they were taking away some passing lanes. Um, and well, I think they did a good job of, of he, controlling us, I think, until until we broke through finally. Yeah, I think it really shows the growth of this team, actually, that they basically had that first half. Things did not go the way they'd planned, um, but they were able to kind of weather the storm. They they got by. They didn't give up a goal. They kept it. They kept it even. They went in at halftime and they figured out a plan to attack them based on what they they showed what the fire showed in the first half. And they went out and got two goals early in the second half and, and were able to get the job done. So I think that that's just um, a huge differenti- differentiator this year with this team as opposed to what we saw last year. I think last year we definitely would have conceded in that half, mm-hmm. uh, in the first half, when things weren't going as we expected they would. Um, you know, it, it, you obviously can't tell exactly what would have happened, but I just think that this team is. Um, not only are they mentally stronger, but they're tac- tactically stronger as well. Uh, yeah. They're just able to weather more storms and survive more more phases of play, some more da- more dangerous plays, um, and kind of move the game along without con- conceding too much damage. So I think yeah. you have to really give the team a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and, and of course, once they got those two goals, everything kind of flipped on its head for the fire and their game plan once they had been kind of found out a little bit. Uh, you take off Muhammad Adams, the, the really stellar young defensive midfielder uh, who had a good game but only got to play 59 minutes. They took off Elliot Collier in the midfield, uh, brought on a couple attacking folks, including the legendary Alan Gordon, who did end up with three shots on the night. We had a couple <laughs> opportunities where we're like, oh, God, Alan Gordon's going to Alan Gordon us. Uh, but fortunately, it doesn't come to fruition. Uh, but it, it's the Mike Tyson thing about everyone's got a game plan until they get punched to the mouth. Atlanta finally lands a big punch, and Chicago had to change things entirely. Um, and it's just like we said, like I said, it's a great, great win going on the road like that. We've seen it a couple of times this year where we squeaked out wins that we may not have picked up last year. Uh, and it is showing in the standings as well right now, Atlanta averaging 2.44 repeating uh, wins per game, repeating, of course, uh, or points per game, excuse me, <laughs> um, which is well above what Toronto averaged last year. Uh, Toronto averaged about two points per game. Uh, finished up with 69 points. First off, nice. Second off, that's an MLS record. <laughs> um, right now, we'd end up with 83 points at the end of the year if we kept going as we are right now, which, of course, would very easily be a record. We're not going to do that. Uh, that's just yeah. not going to happen. It's, Don't get your hopes up, but it does show just how well we've been playing. It's stunning. Yeah, I mean, it's stunning to see those numbers. And like you said, it's not that that's what we're going to end up with, but it's just it just shows how good that we've been to this point in the season. Um, 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And we're not going to lose anyone to the World Cup. Like, you know, several teams will lose some big pieces there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of crazy that the, be- like, the best team in the league right now, us, isn't going to be losing a single player to that competition. Um, so that's nice. That will hopefully help us during that period. But, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. And when you look at some of the individual players as well, some of the, some of the numbers they're putting up, Miguel Almiron is on average for some crazy year, like mm-hmm. 17 goals and 25 assists, or maybe maybe the other way around, maybe be 25 goals and 17 assists or something like that is what he's on pace for right now. So um, it's pretty stunning. Like we have the two uh, league leaders in goals, at least they were coming into the game or coming into the week. I'm not sure if it, it still stands that way now, but um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think we have the, the most goals scored, the least scored against us. Um do we have the least scored against us? Is that we right? did uh, as of yesterday? We had had nine goals scored against us. Wow, that hadn't even registered. With yeah. that's incredible. <laughs> I, we we were, we were tied for bottom for we were tied for the lowest uh, with uh, can't remember who it is now. May have been SKC. To put it, in we need to fact check too, this. With, if with if our... we know anything about ourselves, we need to fact check everything that we say. For sure, for sure. Uh, to kind of put it in perspective, though, uh, we have a. Plus 13 goal differential right now. Am I correct in saying that? I think I am. Um, yep, that's correct. Last year, New York City, uh, who finished in second in the Eastern Conference, ended the year with a plus 13 goal differential. Uh, Chicago, plus 14. Uh, no one else uh, besides you know Atlanta and Toronto finished above that uh, in the Eastern Conference. No one else really close. Uh, so that's already a stunning goal differential for us. Um, Okay, so when I was well. looking when I was looking at this, I was looking at only the Eastern Conference. So we have the the least amount of goals conceded in the Eastern Conference are tied. Okay. Uh, now there's we're tied with Red Bulls and Columbus with ten. We've each, we've all conceded ten, uh, and we have the most goals scored at twenty three. So gotcha. um, Red Bulls are Red, Red, Red Bulls are right up there too. We'll talk about them yeah. a little bit later because uh, we, we have a game with them coming up uh, in a few games here. But they've played a game less than us, and they've they've. They're basically at a higher scoring rate than us right now in terms of goals per game. So wow. um, they are they are hot and yeah, getting well, off. They helped us out yesterday at least, uh, helping us go to the top of the table with a big win in the Hudson River Derby, um, and taking out New York City FC. Yeah, uh, so that helps a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks, New York. We appreciate it. See mm-hmm. y'all soon. See y'all soon. Like we said, big win for the Five Stripes, and you guys had questions about it. We'll go ahead and move on to our listener cues, and as always, we start with the one and only Zach Attack. Do we need Twitter. to give him producer credit or something here soon? I think so, man. He's, he's the best question asker we got. Uh, Zach Attack asks, As someone who is sort of too drunk to pay attention to this sort of thing, same, what, if anything, changed between the first and second half that made all the difference? Yeah, uh, I think we've talked about this quite a bit. Yeah, we kind of covered I mean, it a bit. There, there, was, there was also one, um, there was one thing I noticed in the second half, which was that when... Our, our center backs started carrying the ball forward more. They started dribbling the ball forward, like, into midfield, sometimes, like, all the way into the attacking third, and that really speaks volumes as to how Chicago was unprepared for that kind of a move, that specific movement. So there was one where Parkhurst just ran with the ball all the way into defense, mm-hmm. um, or into Chicago's defense, and then also I think LGP did it once or twice, Um and I think that that probably stems from, I would have to go back and look, watch the game closely, but it probably stems from the fact that Chicago seemed to be going with this like very specific tactical plan where they were doing this thing, like we mentioned, where they were pressing with their front three against our three center backs. They're going man up in the front. And then they were also like man marking Miguel Almiron and 
Darlington Nagby throughout the game. Like, they had guys just attached to their hips, just, like, chasing them around the entire time. So, basically, they didn't have, like, any spare men. They didn't have, like, a great structure. They had a great, like, press. They had a great, like, way to close down um, players, which was basically by man-marking across the, across the field. But it really showed in the second half our center backs were able, were able to get some room and carry the ball forward a little bit, and there was just nobody in midfield that was able to pick them up, and they were able to basically create plays, create attack, um, just by simply dribbling, dribbling the ball forward. So I thought that was one that was one interesting tactical uh, little nuance in the second half. And sometimes tactics are great, but it also helps to have Miguel freaking Almiron. Uh, let's just talk a bit for a second about how good Miguel was. Uh, do you know who led in tackles last night? Hmm. Oh, I guess it's probably Miguel Amaron. It's, it's Miguel Amaron. Miguel oh. Amaron had eight tackles last night. That's four more than anyone Jeez. else did. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> did you know who led in dribbles last night? Yes, Miguel uh, Amaron. Seven dribbles. No one else had more than two. A uh, whole bunch of shots <laughs> for Miguel. Uh, obviously, the man of the match um, in a whole bunch of different ways. He was incredible. I don't have his recovery stats in front of me. I'm sure he had a ton of ball recoveries. He had the most. He had the most. We don't even need to fact check that one. Yeah, for sure. The Paraguayan got a ball recoveries, as always. Um, Looking at it here, too, I believe he had a few clearances as well. Uh, It's not loading right now, but looking at it, as soon as I figure out where it is, go on, rolling. I bet you had a bunch. And a clearance last night. Uh, so there you go. He was incredible. He was just yeah. incredible. So that that was one of the biggest differences. There are some players that they call like a jack of all trades, or like you know, there's some like a what are some of the words you hear in sports? Like a utility. Like you can do a lot of you can do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Miguel Almiron does a lot of everything. Like he does everything. He does it, everything really well. Like <laughs> it yep. doesn't matter if it's uh, scoring or assisting or defending, tackling. Like he's just a great all around player. And I think that he's mistaken. Like, his game is um, people don't conceptualize it correctly. They look at his size and kind of how slight he is, and assume that he's um, more of a flair player, more of a speed guy, or just is a little more one dimensional. He is a he is a box to box player. Yep, and he takes a lot of pride in it too. Do you remember the the FIFA ratings announcement video they did a while back, where they got to see yeah. what their FIFA ratings were? He was very, very upset that his defensive rating wasn't higher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he, so I it's something that. he takes a lot of pride in, and it showed. Again, going back to what you're talking about though with the tactics and what the center backs are doing, I think Zach Attack has a pretty solid follow up to that. Uh, if we see the back three again, uh, let's let's say for this next game, uh, do we see Escobar or McCann? And I think it's pretty obvious that you stick with Franco. Going forward, yeah. you agree? I agree for a few reasons. One, I think if McCann, apparently he missed the game with a tight hamstring. I just think that that's probably not something you're going to want to risk anyway, like a couple days later. Um, I love that injury, by the way. I, I tweeted this out, but it's a great sports injury because every middle-aged dad who's ever played like in a church slow-pitch softball league knows that injury and sees that <laughs> yeah. and goes, uh, well, nah, can't play with that. Yeah. No, no way, no way, right? <laughs> Nothing we can do about that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I completely um, understand, Chris. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and then I think, you know, obviously, Franco Escobar played great. Um, or maybe not great, great, but mm-hmm. uh, I thought he played, he was, I well, I think what I said at the time was the performance we got out of Escobar was, like, the best game you would expect out of McCann. Like that, like uh, <laughs> that's fair. It's like fair. it's like yeah, if yeah. you if you got the game if you got Escobar's game last night from McCann, you would say, "Wow, McCann had a great game." 
Yeah. So, and, and that, that's why, and I, I think in Escobar's case, you're, we're just scratching the surface with what he is. I mean, we don't really know what he is. Uh, he's so, only so played like three that. games. So, to I think I think there's a lot more to come from Escobar. I thought he grew into the game really, really well. I thought initially it was a little bit shaky, even with that goal line clearance. Yeah, he may have been caught out of position a couple of times, had a little difficulty uh, getting the ball out every now and then, uh, which led to a couple of pinball kind of chances for Chicago. Uh, but he grew into it really, really nicely. And like you said, I think that's uh, his his lows are going to be kind of near Chris McCann's ceiling. Love you, Chris, but that's just the, kind of the way it is. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I think it's Escobar. I think it's Escobar. Yeah, I think it's Escobar. Escobar, and I think it's probably I think you know this. It's kind of unfortunate for McCann that he's picked up this injury, but I think that this is kind of an opportunity for Escobar to grab this spot and not give it back. Yep, for sure, for sure. Uh, moving on to our next question. Uh, speaking of people injured, resting, all that kind of thing. Uh, Patrick Greer asked, "Do you think we will be resting anyone Wednesday? If so, uh, who replaces who?" And it's a good question, and I think the answer is we don't, we aren't going to do it. I think it's going to be everyone. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tata, I mean, if you look at what he did last year, we didn't really rotate. And it was a little different because we were really fighting for one of those uh, buys in the playoffs, and um, we didn't quite get there, obviously, but Tata was really pushing for that, and so he was just playing his best 11 every possible game. I think we will see Tito in for someone. I don't think you can, I think it would be crazy not to start him. He's got, absolutely fresh legs um, I, think, I just don't know I who think you that's bring more of a for. tactical thing though than rather than the I think it resting might be. someone yeah is, that's, is that's, I think I'm getting at that's true that's true um, and of course I think with home games you gotta you gotta go all out especially in MLS you gotta be able to, to take three points where you can especially against when you have a really good team coming in uh, if you were going on the road to some kind of crappy team you would maybe consider resting someone and be pretty kind of assured that you were gonna get a spot or a couple points out of it anyway um but with this, I think big game against Kansas City, you don't rest anybody. I I think there's one guy who's definitely going to get rested, and that's Greg Garza. Okay. I just think I just think that he's the kind of guy who you need to manage uh, physically. He's had several injuries throughout his career, major injuries uh, or or nagging injuries, at least injuries that have stayed with him. Um, and when they tried to load the games on him last year, he he couldn't couldn't make it through and. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they will learn from that. I think they'll have learned from that. And if McCann is fit to play, then I think that he would be a great, you know, you could slot him in there at like left wing back or left back. Sure. Um, and I think that, you know, if he, even if he's not available for that game, I still think you probably play like Mikey Ambrose or someone. I don't think that you lose all that much by playing like one of those reserve left wing backs for a guy like Garza. I mean, not to, not to downplay what Garza brings to the table, um, but I think it's just the nature of the position. If you can get like a suitable replacement level player there, you're not going to be missing a whole lot um, in terms of the overall team. So I, he would be my one. He would be the one I would look out for. Yeah. It's interesting with the scheduling in MLS. Last year was kind of the exception to the rule, especially late in the year for Atlanta United, where things were very, very hectic and kind of cluttered all together. Uh, you're playing 34 games, which isn't as much as most other leagues, uh, and you're not really having too many extra domestic stuff going on. It's just all you kind of got to focus on. Um, so there's, in my opinion, resting people is kind of in the back of your mind, I think. In a lot yeah, of it's, we're, in we're just not like, yeah, exa- I totally agree with that. Was it, like These guys can handle playing, you know. 34 games. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and playing, you know, if you have to play a midweek game here, they're, like, they're more than capable of doing that. Now what uh, we it's, did it's not only, the, it's not only they're doing this every, last year that's that's much that's much yeah. in any league 
Yeah, uh, it's not, not, it's not like even like in a in your in Europe, like a like a team in the Premier League or someone who's playing in a uh, midweek European competition. Like that's more intensive. You know, they're playing midweek every week, um, usually like in the fall. When you add, when you throw in other domestic cups and stuff like that, so I think these guys, nope, there's not really that much of a risk, you know, or or fear of injury because they're starting a midweek game, and it's also a great team that they're playing, so they're not going to want to like, you know, you don't want to you don't want to weaken your team too much because you might lose. For sure, for sure. Uh, speaking of, we were talking about Garza at wing back. Let's move to the other side of the pitch. Uh, this one comes from at Mateen Ziba who has just a ridiculous last name. That's why we're using his handle and not his actual name. Uh, if he wants to get at us with the pronunciation, uh, do that. Uh, he asks, in Gressel's, is Gressel's long-term future at right wing back? Um, he goes on to say, I'd also like to hear about how Nagby was a star signing in January. His beautiful Nork in midfield has gone somewhat under the radar. And if only, if only Mateen, Mateen Ziba, we had some kind of award or something like that we could, we could give to people who were maybe playing really well but going under the radar, but we'll, hmm. we'll try to sort that out. Maybe we'll have something for you. Things that make show. you go, hmm. hmm. But let's let's focus on Gressel and this okay, question. Okay, yeah. yeah. Is his long-term future a right wing back? Um, gosh, so hard to tell. So hard to say. I think, it, well, personally, I think his long-term future is just that straight-up right back. Um mm-hmm. I seem to be on an island here with this opinion. Okay. Not yeah. so much with our staff, but just with a lot of the reader uh, readers and stuff. Um, I, he's shown no signs to me that he's like incapable of playing right of de- like defending basically. Right. Uh, which is, I think, a lot of people's fear is that he can't. You know, he's not going to um, have good positioning or you know, I don't know, tackle well or something. I'm not sure. He seems like he's one of the more physical guys on the team to me, just in terms of his natural body structure. Um, his physicality is is up there at the top of the team. And he seems to have great stamina, able to get up and down like a, like a modern fullback does. Um, I do think, you know, like if he played fullback, his it would take a little bit to get his positioning down. Um, but you know, that's something that's going to happen whenever you change position, change positions. And he's already shown with this, this change back to right wing back that he's been pretty good, um, making that adjustment. So that's where I see his long-term future, just a straight right, right back. I don't think like right wing back is really like a long-term place to be because it's the, uh, like these three, the back formations are kind of novelties instead of like, you know, the norm, the, cru- the cruxes of many teams. So I don't, yeah. I don't think you'll, See him, and and when I say long term, like you know, it might not be in Atlanta, you know, like, and I'm not saying he's going to be gone like this year or anything, but yeah, I'm this, just saying like when we I think about, he's a young player, and when we talk about his long term future, we got to think about, you know, he could, he could, he's a guy who could go off to Europe at some point. And this is something I wanted to bring up, uh, just talking about Gressel maybe moving on. I think it was Matt Doyle, uh, our buddy. Matt I think Doyle, so. Yeah, he tweeted something out about he could see Gressel. Go into, I think he said a second division German team or a championship team over in England. Yeah, I think um, he said he quality. thinks he's a seven million or he's a seven figure player transfer fee mm-hmm. right now. Which is so a, which is imagine a what he would be. Phrase, yeah, you know, um, and he's been that good at right wing back, and it's. I, I I think I agree with you. I think he has the skill set to play right back. Uh, I think especially when yeah. More, sorry, I didn't want to cut ahead. you off. I just think when you look at these European teams, like what he does well. Um, is what 
these teams want out of a fullback. And I think it's what we want out of a fullback, too. You want someone who can get up and down the pitch, who can put crosses in. I mean, you look at the high levels in Europe, the guys who send in crosses are not the wingers of the attacking players. They're the fullbacks. They're the defenders who, and those are the players who stretch the pitch wide. Uh, and that's what he does. You know, it's just like a different kind of style. Although some managers are actually changing it. That's a whole nother conversation. Uh, but like Pep Guardiola plays with like wider wingers, which is interesting. But um, yeah, anyway, I think Russell is looking at fullback. I think for him, if he wants to have like progress with the, the highest echelon of teams possible i think that's his that's his long-term future but i think he could play you know he could also be like a dp somewhere um down the line you know if he improves as like an attacking right winger um in mls or something it just kind of depends on what he wants for his career and uh, how he kind of how he wants to progress in terms of where he wants to get better essentially he can focus on being more of an attacking uh right winger you know like i said or or right back all right, well, that'll do it for our listener questions. Let's move on to some final thoughts about the game. Uh, first things first, we really need to prepare to say goodbye to Miggy. Uh, I know there came there was an article that came out about uh, someone, I think maybe Darren, saying Miggy's definitely not going in the summer. Um, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, we've heard yeah. other things from like his agent and other places that have said, oh, he's definitely looking to, to get going. Uh, Laney Knight's already in talks with folks. Um, and as he continues to be maybe the best player in MLS up to this point, uh, we just kind of have to prepare ourselves for, for the inevitable here. Uh, but I can't state enough how, how good he was last night. Yeah. I think what, what I really want to hammer home here is do not take Darren Eel's, you know, declaration that he's not being sold as gospel that he's not being sold because of course he's going to say that. Like what, what would you expect Darren Eels to say? Oh yeah, we are thinking about selling him if the right, right offer comes, which is kind of actually what he said. Well, he was, you know, he did when he said this declare, you know, he made this declarative, we're not selling him. He also mentioned we have to do what's best by the club and our owner. And, you know, he, I think he had some line in there about, you know, if an offer comes, like they have to consider, you know, whatever. And I think he kind of like he threw out like Neymar money as like a, like a laugh it like a way to like laugh it off. But um, I think there's absolutely from me just reading the tea leaves, it seems like there's like a handshake release fee for him. Um, if you if you go back and look at his father's quotes, I want to say it was his father because there's been quotes from his father talking on radio stations and his agent. Uh, but one of them said that there is an agreement between him and the club uh, for a release um, or something to that effect. Uh, but basically, but he, the wording there was agreement, which to me signals that they've talked about this already. Yeah, um, maybe some kind of release clause or you yeah. know, like we said, an under the table release. Yeah, clause, I don't I think I, it's probably not an official one. I don't know if MLS like because MLS owns the contracts. I don't know if they would even allow that. But I do think that there's yeah, there's I mean, and this happens all the time. There's always, you know. There's like handshake deals. That's how you get players, convince players to sign with you. Oh yeah, sign with us, and if we ever get you know twenty five million dollars for you, we'll let you go. Um, I'm not saying that's what it is, but uh, that could be what it is. But anyway, so yeah, don't take that with a grain of salt. He could definitely go. Um, I know Doug Roberson has said there's like no percent, there's like zero percent chances that he's leaving this summer. Also, um, yeah. <laughs> Doug, Doug also kind of poo pooed no the Ezekiel Barco transfer rumors as well. So I mean. Sorry, Doug. Sorry I had to throw you under the bus there, but yeah. we could it's be okay. wrong. He Me and Doug wrong. are cool. You never know. 
You never know. But you know, it's just one of the, you. You just in soccer in the sport, you just can't don't don't take anything for gospel. Basically, that's my yeah. that's my warning as someone who saw Tottenham sell Gareth Bale. Kind of as a, as a side note and an inside baseball kind of thing here. It's always interesting to me to see how big time communicators and, and, and leaders in certain organizations uh, handle talking to the press and to the media. Mm-hmm. Um, I've interviewed Greg Sankey, who's the SEC commissioner before. Uh, and he is very much like he is full politician. He'll kind of work around it. Uh, he'll be very blunt and straightforward um, and won't give you really anything ever. Uh, Darren takes kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of the approach yeah. of being so likable that you kind of get lost in the jokes and the, just kind of the jovial Britishness of it all. And you kind of, the, the actual message gets lost in, in the weeds. You become bit. smitten. You become smitten. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How are you going to ask this guy hard questions when all you want to do is just go get a drink and, I don't know, watch uh, Faulty Towers or whatever British thing he wants to watch? Um, really interesting. Anyway, that's just the super nerdy journalism side coming out of me there. Um, moving on to our next thought, uh, we've kind of already talked about it. It's just how. Yeah, we don't have to go through Tito. this. We we've already really talked. It was just about Tito, man. Yeah. Uh, but this all comes at the time, at a time where it's just a really exciting month ahead uh, for Atlanta United. Of course, sporting uh, Western Conference leaders coming in on Wednesday. We'll have a preview. HDAD up for that. Hopefully, even though it's a really quick turnaround for us, um, we'll definitely have an Orlando HDAD. I think for you. Uh, they play on Sunday. That's a Sunday game uh, mm-hmm. as Atlanta travels down to Orlando for the first time this year. First of two times, I believe. I want to say 6 o'clock Sunday okay. night. It's like Sunday evening. Yeah. Uh, we may not even do like an actual preview for that. It may just all be Orlando hate talk yeah. the entire time uh, because I just I don't like that entire state. The city's terrible. It's all awful. We can get into it more. Uh, and then after that, we a team we talked about earlier, New York Red Bulls, comes to town. Yeah, I'm really excited for that New York Rebels game. I think of the three, obviously it's so hard. Orlando is like, it's hard to even like put Orlando into, if you're like ranking these games and how interested you are in the three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to compare Orlando because it's, that's just like a different, it's a different situation. Um, but the New York Red Bulls one I think is going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be like one of the most fun games to watch all year. Um, these are probably the two best attacking teams in the league. Uh, us in our, us in New York. Uh, New York presses more than we do, uh, mm-hmm. way more than we do. We don't even press that much in the three five two. And they just um, broke New York in half with that press. Uh, New York and City, early, yeah. Oh my god! Early gosh. too. It was incredible yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting gonna be how that match plays out. For sure. Um, Orlando still don't understand Orlando. Um, they're they're sitting near the top of the table uh, with sixteen points, uh, but just a, a, a three goal differential. At this point, uh, when you look at someone like Red Bulls, who's got uh, a plus 11, um, who's a point behind, and then Columbus, uh, who's also at that three goal differential mark, still don't know if Orlando or Columbus are even really good. Uh, yeah, but we'll talk about them more yeah. later. Uh, right now, of course, we'll have to focus on, on SKC coming up. That one's going to be a ton of fun. Like we said, we'll have a preview HDAD to you at some point before that one. It may be a game day preview HDAD. Uh, we'll just have to see. Uh, moving on to an aforementioned moment in the show that we love and we cherish. We love to tell you guys about the folks that you, you may not have noticed who were playing their hearts out, giving their heart and soul, and who may have been really, really good while still staying under the radar last night. This brings us to our Lerinowitz man of the night. Joe Patrick, who is your Lerinowitz man? 
Well, since uh, you gave me a hard time for picking LGP every time, no, I wasn't. I was. I was never going to pick LGP. LGP, um, really good. but I did really want to pick Michael Parkhurst, but I also pick him every time, so I couldn't pick <laughs> Michael Parkhurst. So you just so, went with the other center back. So I went with the other. So I went with the other center back, which is Franco Escobar. But I will say, I was just really impressed with him. We've already talked a bunch about him, so I'm not going to go and do a ton of detail. But I was just really impressed with the way he slotted into the team. Um, he'd been missing. That was that was kind of my. Uh, the reason he impressed me the most was because he's been out of the team for so long. And I know he got a few minutes against Montreal, but that was like a couple minutes. Um, And he just came in from the start. Like you said, he looked a little shaky at the beginning, but he really grew into it. And I thought by the end of the game, he was playing really well until Brad Guzan knocked him out again. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. But yeah, yeah, he's he's my Lorenzo. Poor, handsome, handsome guy. Gosh, must be so hard being Franco Escobar. Look up a picture of Franco Escobar and... Uh, Paulo Dybala. They look exactly the same. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Never would have known. Uh, Milo Runitz, man of the night, goes to Darlington Nagby. I thought Nagby was really, really good. Once again, a, a couple key passes. Uh, there were three players with two key passes last night, according to who scored at LGP. One of them, interestingly enough, and Miguel Almiron with the other, just to kind of tell you the impact there. So he's having a Miguel Almiron impact level on the, on the passes there. Of course, set up that incredible uh, team goal for the second goal. And just continues to be a very important part of what this team is doing. Uh, I was hesitant about Nagby and the whole trade coming in, uh, but he's been very, very good. Um, maybe not in that first game, but he's really grown into the team. I thought will continue to be really, really solid. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my learnings, man. Shout out to Darlington Nagby. Uh, your trophy is in the mail. All right. What's the trophy? <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's just a, uh, it's just a copy of the tax code. To be honest, uh, it's a very Lorenowitz kind of thing. But Print it, it's, it out. It's in super a practical. It, yeah, yeah. In like a in like a really well organized binder. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the Lorenowitz man of the night trophy. You're welcome, Darlington. Um, let's see. Let's move on to our final segment of. It's the so night. funny to it's so funny to see when Darlington doing. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> I have a, I have a, I have a very important anecdote to call out here. It's so funny to see in like the, when they're doing Snapchats or Instagram lives of them all waiting around like at like an airport gate or something. And when mm-hmm. you see Jeff Lorenowitz sitting there, he's like they're all like having fun, messing with the filters, like doing all this stuff. And he's like clearly making e trades or like you know checking his <laughs> Schwab account or something. For sure, and he just doesn't want any part of it. God, wouldn't it be the best if like it turned out Jeff Lorenowitz was just super into like Bitcoin? And knew everything about blockchain <laughs> and was just way on the cutting edge of that. I, I bet you that dude's got some got some demons in his closet that are very uh, <laughs> way more progressive and, and with it than he wants to let on. Um, he's kind of taken over that time years role of, of, of hating the Snapchat too, which is great. Uh, we needed someone to take that mantle up. Yeah. Moving on to our final segment, the quote of the night. This one comes from the one and only Bastian Schweinsteiger, who was very complimentary. Uh, at the end of the game, he says, "You can see that this team does a lot uh, and puts a lot of money into the squad to buy a, po- a player like Ezekiel Barco for fifty million. That's the actual <laughs> quote. There's a big old sick next to it. Uh, I think this is unusual. Why? Yes, yes, it is unusual. That would be. Yeah. Uh, you see, they have a lot of good players, also regular players on the bench. So they're one of the best teams in the league. There you go. So shout out Bastion for recognizing the greatness that is Atlanta United." Um, of course, Bastion wouldn't be anywhere without Atlanta United because Atlanta invented soccer. There you go. You're welcome, Bastion. All right. Yeah, that was that was nice. That was nice of Bastion. Thank you, thank you, buddy. 
Uh, that'll wrap it up here on Five Strike Final. Like I said, it's weird out. to call him Bastion. Yeah, it's like it's weird to think that that's his name, Bastion. I don't know. I've always just like thought like you know I've always just said Bastion Schweinsteiger or just Schweinsteiger. Yeah, there we go. Mm. Discovering new things about ourselves on the show all <laughs> the time. Uh, like we said, that'll wrap it up. Uh, go ahead and check us out on Twitter at Five Strike Final. Uh, I'm at J underscore Sam Jones. I'm also tweeting from DSS from time to time. Uh, go follow Joe Patrick, who is at J A Patrick two hundred. Yeah, mm. there you go. I know it. I knew it. Um, also, go give us a review on iTunes. Uh, we don't want to pander too much, but it helps out with the algorithm and stuff that we don't really understand. But apparently, that's how they they rank things. So if you give us a five star review, uh, we'll appreciate it. Uh, we don't we don't sell ads. We don't do any of that stuff. We just want more people to be able to hear. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're tired of of kind of talking to ourselves a little bit. We feel like crazy people. Uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, moving on. Our final thing. Let's do some shout-outs. Shout-out Ryan Catney. Shout-out Chris Romani. Shout-out Caitlin Steven. Shout-out Justin Valdois. And shout-out to Hiro Murai and Donald Glover for that stunning music video they released today on, on under the childish Gambino name. Uh, it's called This Is America. It's freaking incredible. It's like in some warehouse, and it's got a whole lot of interesting political stuff going on. Was that all that. done in one take? Uh, no, nah, it's a few different takes, no? but okay. it's some pretty incredible cinematography yeah. uh, through the whole thing. Uh, it's, it's I awesome. drunkenly watched it last night. It was good. good. It caught me off guard. It uh, it made my heart jump a couple times. Mm, Yeah, good stuff. Go check it out. Shout out Jorge Thieler. Shout out Justin Fuelhuis. And shout out Chris Ramondi, which you've already done. And shout out Chris Winkler. He helped me up with a uh, cool interview with Miguel Almiron last week. I got to sit down with him for just a second and talk to him um, for an MLSsoccer.com story. So thank you, Chris Winkler. Cool. All right. Also, one more shout out. Shout out to the one and only LeVar Burton. LeVar, I know you're listening. That'll wrap things up. Five Stripes the winner in this one 2 one final score. We'll see y'all soon with our preview pod for Sporting Kansas City. Bye, y'all. Bye. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia.